You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Terry Riley, titled The Shepherd 3, from the series Hearing God. For more information, visit creekside.org. I want you to take out your notes, if you would, and turn to Psalm 23. As I noted the last couple of weeks, what I thought would be a one-week talk has turned into three today, and I think I'll be able to finish next week. And, uh, but the more I get into it, uh, even, at, uh, even yesterday afternoon, the more I, I just feel like some things need to be shared and talked about from it, as you'll see in a minute. I want you to, if you have your notes, there's something to write with on the table. I would like for you at the top of your notes, your outline there, write down what is the most difficult thing you have faced in life or walked through. Just, just quickly, write down what is the most difficult thing that you have faced or had to walk through to date in your life. Just note it on there if you would. Okay, two things I forgot. Uh, Fry's uh, next week uh, uh, in between services, we'll have a gathering for them over in the uh, uh, cafe room. And second, I think we have a we have a Marine graduate here today. His name is Chris Keller, and uh, right over here. Okay, okay. Very good. He's going to get a big head. I think we can just say to him, Semper Fi. And uh, we have another young gentleman, uh, Donovan um, Ch- uh, Childers, who is uh, in basic training as well and will probably join us in another month or so. So all of a sudden we have this wonderful uh, entourage of military people that we could be proud of. And so we thank you for serving, Chris. Here's the deal. The reason I had you write this down is what I want, and, and, and I don't think this is I don't think this is new to anybody, but I'm going to go someplace with this, and I want to turn us back to Psalm 23, and I want to read through it again. Our focus today is going to be on the fourth verse. It says, "This the Lord is my shepherd; there is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures, and and he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life, and he leads me along the right path for his name's sake." Even when I go through the darkest valley, here's a transitional point here in verse 4 for this whole psalm. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Prior to this, he's kind of talking about God. It's almost like we're his audience. Now all of a sudden in this verse, he transitions. Really, he begins to talk to God. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows and only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for as long as I live. The reason I had you write down a significant thing in your life is nobody skates through life problem-free. Problem Have you noticed that? I mean, nobody that I know is insulated from the possibilities of pain and sorrow, everybody has problems. Good people have problems. Bad people have problems. And sometimes we think that, especially if we're good people, a good person, generally speaking, we believe that, well, if we follow God, there should kind of like be this exemption from any troubles. And, and hear me, the, when, when we have troubles, it does not make us a bad person. It doesn't mean God is mad at us. What it means is, is we're human and we're facing human experience. And sometimes people always go, well, God's ticked at me, God's this. or No, we, we, we experience them, loved ones, because we're human. Now, here's the catch. Sometimes it's Christ followers because maybe we throw some money in the basket or a lot of money in the basket or we get involved in ministry or we come to church and we bring our family. We really, we really begin to think that, we, that God does exempt us or that we can simply sit back and audit troubles and that you know we can kind of watch them, but we're not going to get to experience them. And that's just not true. You can't read the scriptures with any sense of intelligence with any sense of understanding and not see that most of the people that followed God experienced deep difficulties throughout their life. They were not exempt. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, verse 45. He said, it rains on the just and the unjust. He says, it doesn't matter. You can be good, you can be bad, you can be awful, you can be ugly, you can be whatever. We all are going to face them. The key is how do we navigate difficult times? How do we navigate what the Bible calls valleys in, in verse 4? We have a tendency because we understand this intellectually, but sometimes it, it, it's difficult to, to really get these deep moorings of faith in our heart to say, yes, this is a reality of life. Because what we'll oftentimes do when we really go through these dark Valleys, trials, and tribulations, whatever it is, what's the first thing we do? God, why? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? Why, 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 why? Now, we all understand the reality that sometimes those whys could very easily be answered because you're not real smart about what you've done or choices you've made. But what about those times when you can, you can honestly say it isn't about anything that I've said or done or ways that I've gone? Life just happens. That's why Jesus says it rains on the just and the unjust. But here's the question. We look at God sometimes and we go, why God, why? Or we'll go, why God now, you know? And we forget that we are susceptible to the same things as everybody else. The key is, is how do we go through them? I am convinced a person's faith is always shown through the valleys and the difficulties and the trials and the tribulations. And the first thing I want you to see here is that the shepherd provides protection. David is writing as a former, as a former shepherd, or maybe he was still shepherding, probably not because he was probably a teenager. But what he wants us to see here is that even though I go through the darkest valley, I'm not going to fear the danger that is before me. Why? Because you're with me. 
He understands so far in these first four verses that God's going to protect him and give him direction. During part of the year, the shepherds would, would take their flocks and they would be in the lowland and they would graze them. And then the, the weather and the season would begin to change. They'd have to be, and the grazing would, would, would be gone. And, and so what they had to do is move them up to where there was lush uh, grazing for the, for the sheep to eat. So what, what, what the shepherd would do is he would take them through valleys of ravines through the mountains. And he had to guide them, and he had to lead them, and he had to protect them. Because as he went through these places, they would face these valleys, they would face these shadows. And it was in these places that the shepherd wasn't very aware, tending and watching over his sheep. He knew very clearly that a predator, a predator could come out, a bear, a lion, or whatever could come out and take one of those sheep and take it away and eat it. So the wary shepherd, the aware shepherd, had to be fully aware as he's leading and guiding these sheep up to a greater place, higher land, to be able to eat. The Bible talks a lot about valleys. You'll see it here, the valley of the shadow of death. You'll see in Joshua chapter 7, verse 26, it talks about the valley of calamity. In uh, Psalm 84, 6, it talks about the valley of weeping. It talks in Hosea 2, 15, about the valley of trouble. I mean, that pretty much kind of covers everything for us, doesn't it? We see the reality that they're there. But in the New Testament, Peter writes to the church in 1 Peter 1, 6, and 7, he says, at the present you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. I love that because he says it's temporary. It won't last forever. There's all kinds of trials and valleys, aren't there? There's the valley of, of financial struggles. There's the valley, there's relational values, valleys. Uh, there's emotional valleys. There's broken valleys where we experience deep brokenness. There's all kinds of them. I don't believe these are ever an accident for our lives. I'm convinced that it, it, it is at those intersections, those cross-sections of life, where God most wants to build your faith in the valleys of your life that you face. I don't know about you, I love the mountaintops. I love it when everything is smooth sailing. You know what I mean, don't you? Let's be honest. No problems. But when everything is going fine and great, isn't it true Oh, God, yeah, I love them. I'm thankful. Wow, you're so good, God. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> but we really don't tap into them, do we? And then all of a sudden, something goes cattywampus, goes sideways. And man, then we, then we have to walk back into them. But see, God, I believe, allows these things to come to our life so that he can strengthen our faith. When you don't feel like serving, when you don't feel like trusting, when you don't feel like praising God, when you don't feel like following God, when you don't even know or care if he's there, these are the times when our faith is most tested. Not in the good times of life. When the bills are paid, the kids are kidding right, and everything is going good, man. It's like, yeah, God, you're great. Thank you for all this, and we keep going. But every problem in your life, loved ones, I'm convinced, every problem in our lives has a purpose whereby character can be built and maturity can begin to take place. See, God's far more interested in your character than he is in your comfort or your convenience. Now, we want comfort and convenience, but God says, no, I want you to have character. 
God's goal is not to make life comfortable for you. He's so much more interested in your holiness, being separated unto him, being called unto him than he is your happiness. Holiness will stay with you if you develop it and grow in it. Happiness is so fleeting. Happiness is as fleeting as that good cheeseburger you had last night. Isn't it? Happiness is as fleeting as that argument you had with your spouse this morning before you came here. Yes, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. And now we can laugh about it, but it got a little time. But this morning, and that's what we have to understand. See, I want to read to you Romans 8. Many of us are familiar with this verse. But the power of it is is just wonderful. It says this in Romans 8. We know, who's we? Us, you, me, we. We know, not we think, not we hope, not we suppose. It's we know that all things, not good, not wonderful, not mountaintops, all things work together for the good of those who love God. So here's the question this morning. Do you love God? Okay, if you love God, then there's nothing you face that isn't for your benefit, ultimately. I know like that. (laughs) I know it, but it ain't easy to live. I'm preaching to me today. For the good of those who love God and those who were called according to his purposes. If you love God and you're sitting here today, you're called according to his purposes, not your own. My purposes are to be smooth sailing. His purposes are valleys to grow me to maturity. For those he foreknew, he foreknows all of us. Here's the key. He has predestined us. Not to salvation. Not to hell. Not to heaven. This is what God has predestined you and I for. To be conformed to the image of his son. Everything you face, loved ones, everything we go through is for that purpose, is that we would look more and more like Jesus, that we would more and more develop the character of Jesus, that we would more and more begin to understand God's purposes to become like him. The only way God really can do that is to begin to lead us through the very things that Jesus went through. If we're going to become like him, if we're going to become a prototype, not a prototype, but if we become a a, a replica of the prototype of Christ, we're going to experience the things that he did. Was Jesus accepted from suffering? No, 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 no. Do you think you will be? Probably not. Did Jesus go through times of loneliness? Sure thing. Think you'll be exempt from that? Not a chance. Was Jesus ever tempted to be discouraged? Absolutely. Will you? No doubt. Was Jesus ever misunderstood, criticized unjustly? I think so. So will we. But David reminds us in the 23rd Psalm, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm just not going to fear. Notice it says, I walk. He doesn't run. He doesn't say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a mad sprint to get through this. He doesn't say, I'm going to panic and run the other way. 
He says, I'm going to walk. I'm going to be calm. I'm going to be deliberate. I'm going to follow the shepherd. I'm not going to be afraid. See, you, you, we, we don't get to go around the valleys, loved ones. We don't get to go under the valley. We don't get to go over the valley. You can only go through the valley with the good shepherd who gives you a guided tour through it. And that's the greatest hope that we have because in this life, things happen. Sometimes we cause them. Sometimes life causes them. Sometimes other people cause them. And we just don't have a lot of control. So we got to go to the one who is in control to give us that tour through it. And then we can begin to say, I'm not going to be afraid. Because David says, I will fear no evil. You know what will implies? I will. It implies a choice. That we get up and we make a decision I'm going to get through this with the Lord. See, discouragement looks at all of the negatives instead of looking at the power and the promises of Christ. When I get into trouble, maybe some of you, one or two of you, when you get into trouble, it's because you begin to focus on what? Evidences of the absence of Christ. You look around, you go, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I don't see him. I'm not getting any help here. Instead of looking at evidences for his presence. And if you can have a mind shift in everything that you face, you can always find evidences for the, for the life of Christ going on in you, through you, and around you. But our default mode is always to look for evidences of his absence. You can put two people in an identical situation, one of chaos or tragedy or crisis. You know what? One of them will get blown out of the saddle. And one of them... Will, will, will be strengthened by it and ultimately through it and be able to use it for God's higher purposes and glory. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's about perspective. It's really about a key. What is our focus going to be? The key is your focus, not on your circumstances, not on your situation, but on the great shepherd and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Not on the problem, but on God's power. And ultimately, God's promises. This is what Colossians 1.11 says. God will strengthen you with his own great power. Now, why is that so important? Well, because we see here in verse 4, there's this powerful and significant shift in the language. The first three, uh, the first three verses in Psalms, David is talking about God. He leads me. He guides me. He restores my soul. He, he, he. <coughs> Excuse me. When he gets into the valley, it changes. And what does he do? He's not talking about God now. He's talking to God. And he says things like this. You were with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to do that in faith. I got to go. I'm also, it's almost like I got to recite hope to myself. And that's what David's doing. Because now he's getting into some really heavy things that he's talking about. He's talking about valleys. He's talking about death. And it's those points and those times, loved ones, it's in the valleys of life that bring us face to face with the living, eternal God and begins to build depths of intimacy and trust that we will never experience on the mountaintops. Some of you probably would understand this. Some of you probably experienced this. I have friends in this church, men, 
when I talk about them, it's almost as if endorphins are released. I'm encouraged by them. I'm thankful for them. I smile when I review some of the things that we've done or talked about or experiences we've had. It just, huh, yeah, when I talk about them. But here's the deal. When I talk to them, when I'm in a valley, when I'm in a difficult place, when I talk to these men, those same friends, when I hear their voice, when I see them face to face and I share something in my life, you know what happens? They put steel in my spine. They build my confidence. And by the time I've done with them and they've blown wind into my, my, my man sales and leadership sales and says, you're good, you're fine, you're going to make it. You know what happens? I could take on hell with a squirt gun. Because I know I got some men behind me who believe in me, who speak into my life. And it's one thing to talk about them, but man, when I talk to them and hear their voice. See, when you're going through a, a valley, loved ones, you don't want to talk about God. You don't want to read a book about God. You want to talk to God. See, religion is all about knowledge. Oh, I know this about Jesus. I know this about God. Oh, yeah, that great, the good shepherd thing, that's really cool. But when you are faced and you've got to talk to the living God and you begin to recognize his voice speaking things to you, when you're in this valley and you're spent, you're depleted, you're perplexed, you're discouraged, name it, and you can begin to talk to God and you begin to sense his voice saying things to you like you're going to make it. Well, don't fear because I am with you. Whoa, don't fear. I'm going before you. Fill in the blank. Take all those things that it says about God in Psalm 23. It'll put some steel in your spiritual spine. And that's why valleys are important because hopefully it brings us to those significant points and those significant intersections, encounters with the living God where we move from this religious experience to this relationship of knowing, not about, but knowing personally the living God. Now the rod and the staff he talks about here, those are two basic tools of a shepherd that he used to protect and to guide the sheep. The rod was like a two foot long kind of big stick and at the end was this heavy knot. They would find a, a specific limb or branch about two feet that had a, a big old knot at the end. And now these shepherds became really skilled. Remember how David became so skilled with a sling? Well, these guys would become really skilled with this two-foot rod that had a big knot at the end. So let's say a predator would come to take one of the sheep. He'd run after that predator and he'd just take this thing and he'd, he'd wing it like a missile, take that animal, that predator out. See, that's the same thing God says to us. He says, you're going to have enemies. You're going to face difficulties, but I want you to know, I'm going to protect you. When you're going through this life and you're facing a valley, I'm going to take care of you. Isaiah says that there's no weapon that is formed against us that can prevail. Why? Well, because God's weapons are not of this world, but they're spiritual. They're not carnal. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, he says, and they are the ones that will prevail. 
That's what this God does for us, loved ones. He protects us. He says, your staff, it's going to comfort me as well. See, a staff was a long stick. We've all seen pictures of those. You know, it's about maybe about the size of, maybe a little bigger than the shepherd. And at the end, it's got this little crook on it. The shepherd, he would use this staff to guide the sheep, the straying sheep. He'd, he'd use those straying sheep, or he'd use this, this uh, staff to pull straying sheep close to him, bring them in close, keep them by him so they wouldn't stray. If they fell over a ravine or something, he'd often, he would reach down with this staff and he'd pull it back up, bring it close to him, take it back to be where it was safe. This is what he does for you and I, loved ones. He takes his staff and he begins to lift us up when we're down and he uses it to guide us, to show us the way. You know, well, I don't, I don't feel any staff here. See, when you go through a valley, you're not going through it alone. Jesus will guide you. And he says before that, we talked about last week, he'll always guide you on the right path. What is his staff today? It's his word. If that, if that staff brings us close, if we begin to stray and it's for correction to bring us back, if it's, if he, if it's just kind of moving away and he wants to bring that little sheep closer for better communion and to watch over, that's what the word does. Second Timothy Chapter 3, it talks about that God's word reproves, it corrects, it exhorts, it guides. And that's what the staff is for us today. It's his word. And when you go through these valleys, that you, you, you may need correction, you may need comfort, you may need encouragement. Go to his word because it will bring you closer. It will challenge you. It's so important because so many of us, we live our lives on the basis of facts, not truth. And the reason is, is because we may not know the truth. Well, what do you mean we live on the basis of facts, not truth? See, every day there's facts that take place in our life. It's kind of our reality. I woke up yesterday. I come here to play basketball, and, and here's, the, here's the facts. It's really hard for me to play because I literally I can't breathe but I try. I can go about two minutes and I'm done for 10 and, and it's never been that way in my life, but I do it. That's the facts. I go home after playing basketball. I got to shave really quick because I stayed here too long. I've got a funeral, so I'm shaving really quick and I make this big old gash on my mouth. You, ever, you, know, you know what it's like when you get a gash from shaving? They just bleed and bleed and bleed. And I didn't want to go to this funeral you know, and sitting there talking and have all this blood running down my, you know, it was right here. It'd be embarrassing. Got it stopped. That's the facts. Trina yelled at me. That didn't happen, but it adds to the story. The other things are true. Everybody loves her so much, I got to put her in a bad light every once in a while. But let's say she yelled at me. She's never yelled at me. 39 years, whatever it is. She's never yelled at me, but let's just say she did. Okay, that's the facts. And then something else happens. I'm driving from church from my home. I get a flat tire. I got to deal with it. Those are the facts. But that's not the truth. Here's the truth that we get to live with, loved ones. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm going to rejoice. And that is the truth. That's what God says. Every day you get up, it's another day to rejoice. Yeah, but I got this problem, this problem, this. I can get up and I can live on the basis of truth or facts. 
And many of us live on the basis of facts. Because when we do that, this is what happens. The fact is I'm bored and I'm depressed. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go shopping. I'm going to eat too much. I'm going to drink too much. My marriage is stale. Man, we're really in this tough patch. have been in this tough patch for a season. What am I going to do? I'm going to look to another person. I'm sure there's somebody at work that will listen to me. The financial issues come. We get depressed. Our life lacks excitement. What do we do? Charge ahead and spend. That'll make me feel better too until the bills come. Life is tough. I shouldn't be experiencing these things. I'm a good person, so what are we going to do? We're going to shelve God. Stiff arm him. So much for this God thing, he really doesn't care about me. No, no, this is the day. God says, I am with you always. God says, I will guide you. That's the truth that we have to embrace every day. The rod was used for protection. The staff for communion. That is how both brought comfort. That's how both bring comfort to your life. God's going to protect you. And his word is going to give you truth. Don't listen to the enemy on the things like I just told you because that's what we do. We begin to believe the lies of the world or the lies of the enemy. This will make me happy. It doesn't matter if you're happy. What matters is that you're becoming holy and God is using all of these things in your life to develop and to build his character. When those time comes, when you find yourself, and I have no doubt some of you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm in a dark valley. Let me give you a couple things to remember. Shadows always seem to eclipse reality, but they don't. Shadows always bring a fear that's greater than the actual problem. You ever notice that? We have, a, we have an uncanny ability to extrapolate out all of these things that we think could happen when we're facing something here. I do it, don't you? It's the fear that becomes so enormous, it's overblown, but it's not reality. Shadows can't hurt you. Did you notice there's a big difference between a shadow of a semi and the semi itself? (laughs) Think about it. See, shadows are projected images that cannot hurt you. Uh, They might scare you, but they cannot hurt you. Would you rather be run over by a semi or by the shadow of a semi? (laughs) true. That's why David says, these are only shadows. And whatever is going on, I will protect you. God says, I'm going to protect you through that. Last one is, wherever there's a shadow, there's always what? There's always light. If there's a shadow, it means there's light somewhere. And when you start to get afraid of the shadow in the dark valley that you're going through, here's something that you need to do. Turn your back and look directly at the light. Turn your back on the shadow and look to the light because what's going to happen? Jesus said something like this, I am the light of the world. Not one area, I am the light of the world. 
And we can always find the light of Christ if we begin to turn our back on the shadow. And I don't mean we ignore it, let it just, but I'm talking about the truth. The fact is you've got something going on over here that's causing a shadow. Look to Jesus. Somebody said it this way. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. So when you're walking through the valley, loved ones, you've got to choose what your focus point's going to be and how you're going to look at the light. Psalm 91, verses 1 through 5. Actually, the whole psalm is a very powerful psalm where it gives this picture of God as this big bird. And he talks about when you are covered by the shadow of the Almighty. You'll be covered by His wings. You'll be protected. It doesn't matter what comes, from your, comes your way. You'll be taken care of. Corrie Ten Boom was a Dutch watchmaker. <clears throat> she was a Christ follower who, along with her father and other family members, they helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And she was afterwards imprisoned for her actions. She knew dark times. But this is what she said about Psalm 91. I love this. She said, while under the shadow of the Almighty, it can still get pretty dark. And that is the reality. That's the truth. That sometimes we can forget that even though we're following closely to Jesus, but when he is over us, when he is watching over us, taking care of us, what happens? It can get pretty dark under there. But here's the deal. He's there. He's with you. And that's the greatest hope that you and I have, loved ones. We stay tethered. We stay connected to the living God, the good shepherd. We look to the Christ. I got a few more minutes and I want to talk about something I haven't talked about for a long, long time. I want to look at this other valley. This is not Sunday skippity doo dot teaching, but it's important. Because um, like I say, sometimes I haven't talked about it for a while. I, I did this celebration of life yesterday, and as I, this happens almost every funeral memorial service I do. While I'm looking out over the people there, trying to figure out who's with me and who's not. I'm trying to figure out, these are the thoughts that go through my mind. Lord, who knows you? Who needs to know you? And I don't have to talk very long to figure that out. I don't have to, you know, it's not hard to see people that are nodding their head when I talk about God and things. And it's not very hard to see the people that kind of go, <laughs> you know, or walk out when you start talking about God. But I've made a commitment that I'll always talk about Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings, sometimes it's very subtle, but I will always do it in those kinds of settings. You know what? I look, I look out over you each week. And I know some of you are with me. I can usually tell. And there's others of you that are doing your shopping list. And sometimes that's obvious. But here's the deal. I look at you and I just kind of assume everybody's together and clothed and in their right mind spiritually because you always look so good. But I thought about this yesterday. I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe. 
maybe there's people here this morning at all of these services. You've been at Creekside for a week, a month, a year, 20 years. You kind of like the vibe. It's kind of encouraging. Got great music. Wonderful people. You kind of like the religious tone. But you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you might think that just because you come to this place and you're a Creeksider, that that's the answer. It's not loved ones. Trina and I often say, if we didn't go, if we didn't leave Creekside, by virtue of the people in the heart, we would still attend. Not all pastors can say that. But maybe you've been here for a long time. You've never into the, a relationship with the living Christ. Let me just kind of talk in terms that you don't often hear me talk in. One day, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, will lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. I've done so many funerals and I've used Psalm 23 as a text. You've been to so many funerals and memorial services. Maybe like me, you've walked through graveyards and you've heard those things. Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. You've heard it. You go on the streets and you go up to somebody and say, hey, though I walked through the half of the world could probably say the valley of the shadow of death. Why are those words so precious, so prominent, so powerful, to people. Now, because we come to those times and we go, wow, something's going to walk through me, walk with me through this. I don't know it, don't understand it. It's pretty darn scary. But those words are treasured because it gives us hope in the midst of something we don't know and understand. Because here's the deal. We all face the reality of death. Our lives are filled with appointments, aren't they? Doctors, dentists, school, cars, work. I got a lot of appointments right now. I missed one this week. I had an email and said, I'm so sorry, I missed it. I just it, missed it. And then two days later, I had another appointment I was 30 minutes early for because I didn't check the time and I thought it was at 6 in the morning, it was at 6.30. It's easy to miss appointments. It's easy to get mixed up and confused with them. Hear me, loved ones. There's one none of us will miss. It's our appointment with death. We buy food products. We buy medications. They all have a written expiration date clearly marked on them. Don't you? Well, no, I don't think I'd want it, but imagine if you could just kind of lift up your Oh, yeah, uh, February 23rd, uh, 2090 is my expiration day, you know? <laughs> I could handle that, but we don't have that. But here's what the Bible very clearly says. Hebrews 9.27 says it's appointed for people to die once, and after this is the judgment. I don't care how many vitamins you take. I don't care how well you eat. I don't care how much exercise you get. Trina gives me vitamins every day. I feel like a horse. Oh, oh, oh. And I say, honey, so many, she's got to want to keep you alive. That's really sweet. Here's what I believe about all that. 
all the exercise that I do, you do, we do, all the good eating that we do, all of the vitamins that we do, it ain't going to change our date. I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's not going to elongate our life, but it will give us a better quality for the life that we have to the end. But you've got to date, loved ones. You've got a shelf life, and you're done. Well, pastor, could you be a little more encouraging? <laughs> no, I really can't. No, yes, I can. Let me, let me encourage you with that. You know it's coming. Solomon, the wisest man of all time, he wrote an interesting statement about facing death in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. One of the wisest, he was the wisest man at that time, probably one of the wisest that ever lived. This is what he said in Ecclesiastes 7, 1 and 2. A good name is better than precious ointment. In this whole chapter 7, the first two-thirds of it, it's about this is better than that. This is better than that. Why would he say a name is better than precious ointment? Because precious ointment was like currency to them, was their money. So he's saying, listen, you're better off having a good name than you are being rich. And then he says this, and the day of death is better than the day of one's birth. What? And he goes on to say, but better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart. Ah, he's on to something here. You know what he's saying? You're better to go to a funeral parlor than you are to go celebrate something at Kentucky Fried. <laughs> and I go, no, thank you. Why, is, why would he say that? Because he understands that when you go to the house of mourning, when you go to a funeral parlor, when you go to a service, a memorial service, or a funeral of somebody, the reality of eternity and life and death it just kind of whacks you alongside the head because we live our lives never really thinking about eternal things. Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Help us, God, to see the end and work our way back because if we know and understand and live with a sense, not some kind of macabre, morbid sense of eternity, but that will slap the slacks out of our sails and teach us how to live, what to do, how to live with essentials, not just urgencies. The shift in David's language is a serious reminder to us uh, don't face death just being able to talk about God. But when you face the inevitability of that, you better be one who talks with God, knowing Him that He's the one that's going to walk you through this final trek, this last valley to the mountaintop of His home. He alone knows the way. He alone can get you there safely. Jesus, the good shepherd, said in John 14, I come back and I'm going to take you with me. And here's the truth. I am the way. You want to see the Father? You want to see the glory of heaven? I'm the way. You want the truth? I'm the truth. Trust what I say. I'm the life. I'm the one that can give you this new life through my life, death and resurrection, so that you can have access. That's the facts, Jack, but that's our reality and our truth. His staff, his word can guide us home. We don't have to figure out the coordinates to heaven. Jesus, I said last, he's our GPS. 
someday, loved ones, your body is going to end, but it will not be the end of you. You're going to live forever in one of two places. Here it is, heaven or hell. And, and you can debate with me all you want, but I'm banking on those two things. And if you want to give me, well, you know, this is what I think, I don't care what you think. I care what this says, because that's what I'm banking my life on. And if you come to Creekside, this is what we bank our life on. Boy, I would have thought of just a little more amen on that one. (laughs) I never do that preacher thing except like once every year. That was it, huh? Both places are real, and here's the deal. We're made to live forever with Jesus Christ in his presence. I'm going to talk about that next week, a little bit of heaven. Christ followers, we should be the most confident people about the future. Death for Christians is simply a transition to the best life. It's a promotion to the ultimate life. You are not ready to fully live until you're ready to die. Only a fool would go all through life totally unprepared for something that is inevitable for every person that is born. The valley of death. Why is it a shadow? Because we have guidance through it. We have a transition into it. For us, it really is a shadow. We don't have to fear it. It is secure. It's the real thing. Woody Allen said it this way, I don't want to be, I don't, I'm not afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> and some of us live that way, but we've got to have the confidence. When we die, we go to heaven. How many of you remember when you were born? I didn't think so. Come through the birthing canal. Come out, it's cold. Whack! When you, at that moment, you said, I would give anything to go back. <laughs> How many would go back now? To the warm, fuzzy, you know, not one of us. That's what heaven's like. It's scary, this side, because we don't know. But when we get there, Scripture says that I hadn't seen. Man, we, we're, we're say, I love my family down there, but I love uh, of this more. Solomon is saying this, your death day is better than your birthday. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this next week, about heaven, because that's what it talks about here. But I want us to consider how one day, you know why that's so powerful? Because one day you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see the Jesus with scars in his head. You're going to see Jesus with the scars in his hands and his side. And when you see him, you are going to go, oh, God, that was for me. And now you've prepared this for me. And you would never want to go back. Never.